Fan, där kommer det. Många knappar som ska vara intryckta. Men nu är det en ljudkarv här i alla fall. Och den är inte bra. Den är inte distad. Hello everybody and welcome back to Maiden A to Z or H to J or J to H today. Different lineup. It's uh, Henrik Johansson, so you will be the H to J and it's Johnny Headline, I will be the J to H. That's very clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a thinking man. Actually, yeah. I'm not a thinking man. Me no. and Greg agreed that we apply thought, but we're not necessarily thinking men because oh, of this. Well. As long as there's insight to the behavior. Yeah, yeah, well, somewhat of an insight, I guess, anyway. Yeah. You can only go so far. Mm. We'll take a trip today, uh, not inwards into our souls and personalities, but to England. England words. England. Yeah, and the background for this, uh, I got it instantly after we did Live After Death, because that was actually an episode about kids disguised as Live After Death. I don't know if the disguise worked, but the episode really worked. It's one of our most streamed episodes. And I'm not as cynical as, the, you know, I want to talk about Kiss just to get listeners, but it's a good bonus. I find them fascinating, but a really strange, a weird band. We're not going to talk about them today, but uh, what do you think about Kiss, Henrik? I do. I had my Kiss moments uh, earlier in my, in my early teens, and so I definitely get the fascination and all that. And uh, but I don't know I don't know if it's and, and I know I'm also fascinated in the in the sense that the only other podcast that I sort of go to regularly is a Kiss related podcast. So Alex Room Service. Right? Alex Room Service. So it's um, it's. But he uh, seems unique in the pod game because he, I've I haven't listened to him yet. Uh, I heard him when he guested our friends in Maiden Podden. Yeah. But the way he writes, when I see him write on Instagram and stuff, is is quite. Uh, he tends to be rather poetic and emotional in. He, he in, is, in and he's writing. he's very philosophical in his podcast as well, as as well as being very down to the point in details and reading from you know protocols from meetings and stuff that he has acquired. So it's it's really interesting. It's really nerdy in that sense. Like uh, it sounds like a treasure chest if you're so inclined. Yeah, definitely. It I is. know that Don Svane also an early guest of our show and an early guest of my CD shelf back in the day. Uh, is a huge fan of that podcast. I, yeah. I think it's his favorite one mm. out of them all, you know. But he's also a Kiss fanatic, so. Yeah, well, I guess that helps. To be and I think he likes his numbers and stats and stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, don't we all? I mean, yeah. I don't really work that way mentally, but I do like hearing them. I'm associative, so I just instantly start thinking, I translate the numbers into events or into uh, scenes, you yeah. can say. If you say this is 11,000 capacity, Okay, that paints a picture in my mind, and you know, I'm there. Mm. Yeah, I tend to be uh, very interested in numbers, but then again, it's it's also a very how am I going to say it? It's a very ephemeral fact because you can get all these facts and read stuff, and you can learn about things, and then you sort of forget it. But you only remember that holistic bit about it. So it's difficult to say did they play to ten thousand or thirteen thousand. But the interesting thing is that. They played a sold-out gig, you know. So right, yeah, yeah exactly. And that's what happens in my mind directly. Mm-hmm. Anything will be holistic for me. I, I don't really look at things isolated in that sense, you know. Yeah, it will always be what did it do for this and what did that do for that and so on, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, after the episode, after Live After Death, I thought, oh shit, my favorite side of the album was not in there at all, and I sort of suspected that, you know. We had a big panel, and we did Kiss predominantly. And also, uh, we had an American, all-American panel. Uh, well, me aside. Yeah. So we, we stuck at Long Beach Arena in California and uh, the World Slavery Tour, that part of it, that leg of it. Mm-hmm. But the, my favorite side of Live After Death is the D side. I think it's uh, probably my favorite Made in Live bit. I agree. I think it's the best one. It was very early on when I got the album. It was the first time Made in Album that I got Live After Death. And... Early on, when I listened to it, the B side intrigued me the most. I, I of course, everything was D, fantastic. D side, the D right? side. Sorry, the D side. Yeah, <laughs> but not the murdering god. Uh, 
No, 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 Glenn Benton here. I was totally overwhelmed with Iron Maiden and all their songs and everything, but the there was something about that last side on the double LP that was intriguing to me, and it's sort of what's stuck in my mind when I'm listening to it. Yeah. Now, when I'm thinking about it nowadays. So we will return to that, but the episode today is Speak to Me, Hammersmith. We should get some background on this venue. Yeah. And uh, that's something where I'm going to like learn from your expertise or your knowledge or your... Uh, at least your Wikipedia browsing. Yeah, my, I mean, when it comes to the background of the actual venue, I I must say that it's nothing that I've sort of like been acquiring over the years. I had to make a mm-hmm. quick check on the Wikipedia notes, but there's a lot of stuff that I can sort of like tie, we can tie into the history that we know about the venue and stuff like that. And also, quick uh, reminder to listeners uh, that uh, Henrik and Matthias, both both now famous on this podcast, <laughs> have a video uh, on YouTube. Uh, Concerning concert venues in our city, Stockholm. In Stockholm, Concerning yeah. where Maiden played and all the places they played, right? You didn't miss a spot. We didn't miss one if we don't count the playback thing that they did for Swedish television in 98. Because we didn't go to where that studio was. But, that was well. Angel and the Gambler playback, right? Uh, yes, Sundas Öppet. Sundas Öppet. Yep. Was it complete playback or was it singback? It was total. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Was it singback? I don't remember. But there's an the edited version of the song is is a really short version of the song, which benefits it greatly. And I don't know how, how you can benefit something like that song, but it does actually. So isn't this also where they had a guitar replacement? Yeah, Yannick uh, had some kind of family reasons for not being able to be in Sweden, so they had Tony Newton, the, the then bass player for the support act Dirty Deeds, to. On several locations, several filmings. I think. I, I think actually there were a few. There were a few more that he did around that time. I don't know. I, my memory escapes me here. And he. He. He's also the guy who I think supervised the, uh, the uh, remastering releases in 2015 or whatever it was. Okay. Yeah, I think that was him as well. So he's. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a guitar tech actually, but that, that's you know. Yeah. Well. Yeah. From but he, old memories. Yeah. But he's he's sort of like well in the Iron Maiden family now. Since mm. way back when, quite a few are right. I wonder yeah. how big the like the ter- the internal round table would be. Quite big, I guess. A hundred ish people that would be sitting, you know, in the in the let's, let's call a board meeting. You know, there's a boardroom. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's going to be all the crew because they're all returning guys and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't know. I not really. I have never thought about it in numbers. I think they have a strong hierarchy on the road. Speaking of that, I've heard. Like, yeah. uh, I, don't, I don't remember who told me, but Michael Canny, for example, can can move more freely than others. Ah, and, yeah. You know, and and have more free. He's more free in in terms of making demands. Oh yeah. Well, he has some sort of first in line uh, uh, duty or uh, longest on board thing. And also, I mean, uh, a guy that's actually playing instruments as well. So. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. playing the keyboards, but mm. he's not happy if you call him a member of Iron Maiden. Nope. Don't do that. A live member. Someone said it was the seventh member, and he wasn't happy to hear it. I yeah. heard. Well, I'm bloody not. No, or something like that. But he's American, actually. So he yeah, he is. So we wouldn't say that. bloody. <laughs> I think. Oh fucking not. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to try. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> didn't think it was appropriate to say mm. that he's a member of the band. But uh, mm. I don't know. No, he, he isn't. You know, he's playing a little bit of keys uh, in his. I think uh, you will describe it well. He's standing in his dark. Sad office with a, <laughs> a desk light and yeah. some Cory Triton. <laughs> exactly. And, and pressing one key for a in Hello yeah. Be Thy Name. And well, there's not much glory in it, but uh, he does it well. Yeah, I always absolutely. thought like, every time he's quite loud as well sometimes in, in, in later live mixes. Yeah. And he's never offbeat or anything. No, he's no, no. no it's, it's, he, he does a very good job. I think he himself, he himself said that uh, I'm not a great uh, keyboardist. Clavature, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah there must be keyboard, keyboard, yeah. keyboard player. Yeah, I'm not a great keyboard player, but I'm good enough to play what need what's needed to be played for Iron Maiden, which is not always easy. Yeah, that's what he said. So that's Michael Kenny, not around in uh, on the D side of Live of Death in Hammersmith. No, he was only behind the scenes there, I guess. Right, yeah. and his his mother's um, knitting was part of Steve's uh, shoulder strap. Shoulder strap. Already. Yeah, yeah. I don't, did he use that? strap already in 84 i don't i don't remember when he started getting those knitted ones it must to me it's the 90s but i'm 
I'm not going to... Could be true, actually. So, uh, in the future, made me to see Steve Harris knitted shoulder straps special. Okay, this venue, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, you had one more thing on the shoulder straps. Yeah, now. I hope you're going to do a grandmother uh, special as well, then. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Grandmother's Day. Yeah. There's none. There should be a Grandmother's Day. There should be, but they are the grandmothers are mothers as well, so... That's true. They can have double Mother's Day celebrations. Yeah. Something similar. Mm. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about Hammersmith, this venue. Yeah. Seeing as you did that video, what was the name of the video again? Iron Maiden Concert Venue Stockholm? Or? Uh, something like that. I, I, if, you, if you type that into YouTube, you're going to find it. So You're probably going to find it. Yeah. It's a good one. Mm. They go into the actual venues and film. Yep. Um, and which, talk. Yeah. Which is one thing that we have not had the opportunity to do at this particular venue in London, Hammersmith Odeon, because we haven't been there in this, in the role of investigating Iron Maiden nerds. But you have been there. I have actually been there. I've been there. It was then called the, I think, the Carling Apollo uh, in 2005 when Maiden did the Clive Aid uh, charity gig there. Right. On the, they have, uh, they have um, just like us, Companies buying venues, yeah. And suddenly, it's a new name. Yeah, exactly, and it's happened to the to the Hammersmith Odeon a number of times, actually. Let's uh, break the chronology a little bit and go to two thousand five mm? because I'm interested. I recently listened to Maiden Podden's Clive Burr special, and I recently listened to Clive Burr playing drums, mm? as you do. Uh, so I, I think I'm primed or inclined to to hear about that gig because I remember that I was a big fan then. Yeah, I remember seeing it, and I remember seeing him throw throw sticks out. In video format too, I believe. Uh, uh, are, you might be confusing this with the Brixton Academy gigs in 2002, because they did stream one of them. Okay. And that's, but was, that was Clive Aid? Or? That was also a Clive Aid thing. I, I think they called it okay, a Clive Aid. Okay, yeah, then it's did, definitely Did that. they call it a Clive Aid? I don't, I don't know. If, uh, the Clive Aid franchise has been something that's sort of like been going on besides Iron Maiden as well, to yes. collect money to this trust fund. But and they stay in that style. They recently paid or went out saying they're paying for um, Poliano's. Yeah, I read that. Bills. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's good. It's nice, actually. I like that. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Taking care of, uh, of the tribe, yeah, so to speak. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but in 2005, it was the, um, the early days tour. I, felt, I, I don't remember what it was called officially. Was it Eddie Rips of Europe or something like that? I don't know. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I remember going to Gothenburg to see the, the, the gig at Ullevi. It was televised and it's all over YouTube and everything. Yeah, yeah we sampled it several times. It's actually a, one of the better documents of, of the band in, in latter eras. And one of the, it's very viewed, very streamed, that video too. Yeah. It's almost like an official, non-official live. Exactly. And it's really weird because I remember from that gig, I was very disappointed with the gig when I was there. Yeah, you told me, and it was nice for me to hear, because I missed the gig. I yeah. was sitting at the TV in Stockholm. Yeah, and, and when I later saw the broadcast, I thought it, it made a lot more sense on the broadcast. So it was a decision I made when we were at the gig to actually, I've got to go to London and see the gig mm. there. Not only to see it in a different venue, but it's also the Hammersmith Odeon. It made total sense to go there, and I'm very happy I did, because, I mean, that's the last time they have played there. So take us to this one. To 05. 05, yeah. Well, I don't... You fly into London. We fly into London to Luton Airport and we take the bus. And we, <laughs> yeah. Take this plane straight to Luton. Take this plane straight to Luton, yeah. We jumped out on a bale of hay outside Basingstoke and then we saw like, well, the Monty Python references. <laughs> and uh, no, but we went there. I think we actually did a, uh, this weird thing you tend to do when you're a bit younger that you can go to a gig and then stay overnight at the airport and then go back the first flight home. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, because you don't care about comfort. No, you no, care no, about no, no. The no. little money you have. We care, we care about the little money and the gig. And we went there to, me and Matthias had actually, it was me and Matthias and another guy who went there uh, in our company. And me and Matthias had actually been to Hammersmith Odeon in the mid 90s when we went to London. Uh, just outside the venue to see this classical venue. And we were sort of, I was, I was amazed to see that it's situated under um, a, a huge motorway, under a flyover hmm. with, with uh, loads of traffic going on overhead. It's, I, well, I guess it makes sense. You're going to make loud noises in there. Possibly. I don't know. But it's just so weird because I've never had that image of it when I, when I saw the pictures from it. But then it's, yeah, it's under this viaduct. <laughs> 
Yeah. And uh, so when we went there again for the next gig, it was like, well, we know what to look for, and this is going to be very strange, but it's fantastic. And then, since it was a maiden gig, there was loads of fans and everything going on. And we had just finished the... Um, sorry, this might go on very long. I don't know. Yeah, me, just go for it. Me and Matthias had just finished our, uh, our maiden tribute album. The, uh, we called the project Food for Thought. And we had where we recorded loads of different our maiden songs in different kinds of styles, and we had brought this CD to have, to sell outside the venue. And so the thing was that one of us three who were there were always had to sit next to this box of CDs and make sure that no one nipped them, nicked them. It's or like something. when you're touring with a band. Yeah, exactly. Someone's going to turns be, on the merch. Someone's going to be at the merch. Yeah, and uh, the thing is, when we were standing there and selling, and I just l- looked, you know not very accurately we just looked over the street and then i saw someone on a bike and it was bruce dickinson arriving on his bike and <laughs> i like that i know he likes to ride yeah it's it, well. and he was very mischievous about it he just came there and he sort of waved a little bit and he, <laughs> some people noticed and they started to roar and he he cycled towards the uh yeah the, the stage entrance or whatever and people some people who had noticed him were rushing there you know and i like that you know it's also my preferred method of uh you know uh, cardio uh, i like to bike yeah uh, i find it very automatic it's uh, you know like knitting or something like that you know left foot right foot but you don't think left foot right foot it just goes it just happens yeah yeah it's great for listening to podcasts as well mm. and a little bit more traffic safe to listen to podcasts than uh, saturated metal yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wouldn't. I don't have the courage to get on a bike in Stockholm, so I, I prefer to walk. But it's the same thing. I like walking. You don't have to think about what you do, and it just it just goes on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, central Stockholm, where you live, is is very unfriendly to a bike, and it's still more friendly than most cities. Yeah, you know? yeah. But anyway, so he arrived, and we Bruce arrives on a bike. I like that. You know, yeah. it's already a nice, great scene. Uh, it, it is, and he's, and he, I mean, he arrives supposedly from home with his. <laughs> with his yeah. with his backpack on on him, you know, I don't know what he keeps yeah. there, but I guess everything. <laughs> you gotta have a backpack too. I yeah. always have a, a backpack, and it's not a fashion choice. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. And you know, we all know about Bruce's fashion choices. That's true. Yeah, that's for another episode. Mm. Uh, and uh, no, so it was it was interesting. We just went there to see if we could get a word in with him, and he was a bit. I mean, he was crowded, of course, but he wasn't swarmed or anything because. People that, you guys met him several times, right? Yeah, we have. So uh, I, I don't remember if there was anything special going on at this occasion for us to bring up with him or whatever. But we just, I guess we just said hello. I don't know. Or we gave him a CD. Uh, he knows our, your names? Well, he used to do back then, I think. I mean, that's enough. That's yeah. enough. Let's keep it at that. I'm not sure. He, <laughs> I'm not sure he would nowadays because it's been. A, no, I asked a long him time. one episode. How many guys does Steve know? Uh, first yeah. name basis and we guess four le- four numbers at least you know mm-hmm. got to be a thousand people that he could probably greet you know hi henrik yeah well, I, I, I wonder if we're ever going to know the answer to that question no he doesn't we don't <laughs> no one does <laughs> <laughs> but it's a nice scene anyway it's yeah. 2005 this one so yeah. we're not in 2002 brixton academy of course no because so that's not the venue yeah it's 2005 and it's the early days tour so it's it's fitting to be in london as well because they're playing a lot of old stuff going up to to piece up to to the peace of mind tour and they, they play. yeah well where did the early days occur of yeah course, so that know. that's where they happen and a lot of the i mean from the killers tour one gig on the killers tour one on the number of the beast tour i guess and i think it's four on the uh, peace of mind tour that he played in at the hammersmith so Nice. It's, yeah. um, and, oh, I would say also a, a year ago we did uh, the early years series. Yeah. So if you're a newer listener, I'd recommend that because it's you know outside of the in ten year anyway. So you're not you know you're not jumping around in plot so to speak. We did that with uh, Ben and uh, several guys have asked me as well when is Ben gonna come on and uh, we miss him. We will have him back and I still chat to him quite regularly. So he's there coming up again. But that was fun. That was last summer. Mm-hmm. The early days. So you're on the early days tour, and it's a, this is a combination, I'm guessing, then. You're combining Eddie Rips Up Europe with uh, some Clive Aid type thing. Yeah, well, I mean, the set was totally just the Eddie Rips Up Europe. I mean, it was the early days set, uh, set list. It was nothing different from that. And uh, 
we were sort of hoping, might they play Charlotte the Harlot? Which they did on the early part of the tour, but they didn't. So because that's our maiden, <laughs> yeah. they they never do. So um, it's was it only that that was the only rare like dropped song? That was the only was dropped it? song I, uh, as far as yeah. I can recall now. Yeah, pretty terrible song though. It it is, say. but I would I would have liked to hear it. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the best is the Poliano version, the live version. Charlie, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, but someone put subtitles under, which is your profession, by the way. Yeah, but someone put titles under under his sort of. Uh, I'm not sure if he was even drunk and singing or just uh, Paul singing. Yeah, but it's but just uh, I guess it's Paul, and his diction isn't perhaps the best. So it's yes, 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 yeah, like that. Love Paul though. Mm, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, uh, so yeah. it's the same exact set list, but uh, you're in Hammersmith. We're in Hammersmith, and and uh, uh, speak to me, speak to me, Hammersmith, speak to me, Henrik, about the the sound in the venue. I'd like to know because the recordings from there tend to sound pretty good. Yeah, uh, they sound focused. They, it's not too much early reflections or that that type of crap mm. that you get in the in the globe, yeah. for example. Yeah, exactly. No, the sound was very good as I remember it, and. I mean, it's a small. It's a small. It, it started as a theater, I guess. I don't know if it's a movie theater or just a theater theater. But mm. but it's, that's the, the word, right? Odeon must be Greek. No, Odeon is actually has a really weird. Uh, um, what do you call it? Weird et- etymology because mm-hmm. it's an idea or a thing started by this guy called Oscar Deutsch. His publicity team claimed that Odeon was Oscar Deutsch entertaining our nation. That's really good, actually. I like that because it's very clever. You have the you have that um, abbreviation, and then you also have a, a Greek sound. Yeah, you know, like exactly. A, it sounds like a Greek theater. Yeah, that's great uh, branding. It is perfect branding. It, ver- it worked very well, and. Um, I don't know how did we end up here. Yeah, it was well, yeah because I think it's a, it's a, is it a movie theater or was it a proper theater? I don't actually know, but it it used to have seats on the floor. They were removed in two thousand and three, so I never got to see them. But um, I don't know. It's when it comes to sound, and I mean it. This, the, the what you say, the angle of the sloping of the floor is perfect because you can always see the stage. That's my memory oh, of it. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. All also goes towards the amphitheater concept. Yeah, it, it, it does. Yeah, and the Brixton Academy was the same, I seem to recall, because I, I know I could see the stage when Clive then walked up on it and threw out drumsticks, as you mentioned. Right. Yeah. They play the same Eddie Rips Up Europe set, so seeing as they did that, uh, I guess the Clive throwing drumsticks was the difference. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, because in the in two thousand and five, Clive was he was sat in a wheelchair. I don't know if he did anything other than wave to people. So, okay, yeah, it was. Well, a, you can, I guess you could throw drumsticks from. A, a I guess you could. Yeah, that's what I saw uh, on the O two thing. But then again, O two is three years prior, and mm. uh, MS is a nasty disease. It is. I don't. I don't know how how it really happened, or or uh, I I don't remember clearly if he did anything other than just wave. I mean, they were offering him to sit you know, side stage to watch the encore, but he sort of preferred to not yeah. be on stage. I don't know if it's... I recall seeing Carcass, and they brought up uh, Kevin Owen, I think is his name, uh, who had uh, suffered uh, hemorrhage, and he actually played a bit, and I don't think they should have done that. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> so that was, you know, it was painful to hear a previously great drummer play that bad. Okay, you know, yeah, well, that's... Uh, yeah, so it's better probably just waving than, you know, just do it like the queen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I also think it's got to be very emotional for a guy like Clive to be there and in something that it was, your, it used to be your life and something that yeah. you were part of building. And now, I mean, this disease is just eating at you. It, it must be really strange. Yeah, no, it's so cool and good that he had the chance to put his stamp on Number of the Beast. So, yeah. You know, he's way more... Um, Engraved in the band than Paul, in that. In sense. that, yeah, absolutely, I totally agree on that. That number, you know, that number, that, <laughs> the record yeah. called "Number of the Beast." Yeah. It's it's full of him. Yeah, it sticks out in the overall general metal canon mm. uh, because he drums differently. Yeah, it's, he's left a really good legacy when it comes to what he did for the band. I think, and probably got more money as well before being on that record. Yeah, definitely. You're, is this the first time you visit Hammersmith? This is, this is the first time that I... Uh, well, it was first and only time I've been into the venue. I mean, I as I said, me and Matthias went there and we were outside it in 95. But that's... 
Oh, okay. So yeah, that the, the, that's uh, when you did the fan club uh, meeting for X Factor, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. So that was the same the same visit to London that we made sure we went to all the venues. We went to the Ruskin Arms and we went to, uh, uh, what's it called, Cognosis. And uh, mm. I, I think we did a few more spots as well that I can't remember off the top of my head. So the tour, basically. A London tour, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. We could go into the history now. Uh, yeah. Is this still a 3,500 capacity venue? Uh, it's actually, since they removed the seats in 2003, I think it actually can take up to 5,000 now. It sounds a lot, okay. but it is. I mean, seats do a lot to, to a thing. And, the, and, and they, I'm ashamed to say, I don't remember if they have a balcony, but I think they do. So it's not, it's not huge. It's not huge, but then again, it's, I mean, 5,000 people is quite a lot. Yeah, to, but let's say five thousand people in Stockholm, uh, it would be cover a you know a significant portion of, of of the whole demographic. But in London, yeah. it's yeah, true, a, yeah, a tiny bit, right? Mm. Fraction. I don't know how many live there now. I Do haven't you? got a clue. On London is not my topic, really. <laughs> yeah, well, it was very crowded very early anyway in Europe. Yeah, so it's always going to be seen as you know wh- where people are at mm. in this continent. It opened in thirty uh, two. Yeah. As the, and uh, that's a while ago. It's a it's a while ago. Yeah, I think ninety it, years. I think it became the Hammersmith Odeon in sixty two. So it, right. it must yeah. So it must have been that that uh, previous theater or whatever it was, and uh, it remained the Hammersmith Odeon actually up until ninety three or ninety four. I think when a brewery sort of like bought it and put their name on it. So it was Labatt's Apollo then. Yeah. Never. It would be nice if our friend of the show, Peter Ivesh, formerly of In Flames, it would be nice if his company, um, Odd Island Brewing, would buy a venue. Yeah. Scandinavian. Odd Island Globe. I like that <laughs> yeah. way more than Ericsson Globe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. No, it's, Avi- it's Avicii Ariana, you know. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. actually Avicii Ariana now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, Avicii is another, another chapter entirely. Totally different, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that. so... Uh, when Maiden played it, it was always Hammersmith Odeon. It was never anything else, apart from the Clive Aid bit, which was then had been renamed again right. to the Calling Apollo from the Calling Brewery. And they still call Download Festival Donington, you know. So Yeah, well, I guess that's old. <laughs> I would too, I guess, if I play there so much. Definitely. I don't know how yeah. many times they play there. This is not the special for that, but we could do that too, a Download slash uh, Donington special it's at some point. definitely a, a topic to talk about. Donington or bust? Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah I, I think he also rode uh, the public train to Donington last time they played. Probably. I mean, I know. Bruce, that is. Yeah, I know he did in 88. Yeah, he, he said that if he wears a baseball cap and he, he reads the yeah. entire journey, mm. he's not uh, particularly disturbed by anyone, no. apparently. No. Or harassed, I guess, yeah. would be the word. <laughs> <laughs> harassing Bruce Dickinson, harassing I, Bruce would. Dickinson. I would definitely I couldn't I couldn't keep myself contained probably if I saw him on a train you know I, I, you know it's a, it's always a matter of what do you say when you go up to him that is not gonna right. be oh can you sign this please I don't know yeah no I don't get starstruck anymore at all uh, when I did it was actually Mikael Åkerfeldt from Opeth yeah I'm many times mentioned in the show because I was 16 you know and then I was uh, shaking and starting to yeah, sweat I mean, in pulse rising and it was in Melotron a nice record shop uh, that used to exist great record shop yeah in, in old town so seeing him there and all that you mm. know uh, but I met him three times in my teens and I was a huge fan every single time mm. so that starstruck for me and uh, but I managed to talk to him I talked to him about Comus I figured he'd rather talk talk about that than about open. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, so probably I'd have a same modus operandi for Bruce. I wouldn't start talking about necessarily uh, Iron Maiden or Bruce Dickinson solo. Maybe no. something else. But you once claimed he doesn't have any friends. Well, <laughs> it could I don't, be I don't true. Know. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if uh, Michael Okerfeld, I think, has friends, and I think they talk yeah. about Comus, for example. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think. Uh, d- read up a bit on aviation, and then you have a head start. I think on that's true, engaging that's Bruce. You, you have that. You should, that's what you should go for easily. Yeah, absolutely. If I ever, aircraft, if I oh. ever get the uh, opportunity and feel it's appropriate. So well, he why? doesn't know, but he wants this to happen. You know. Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Mm. It changed his name a bit. There's some companies buying it here and there. Funnily enough, a couple of breweries. That's interesting. Yeah. 
and then uh, HMV Apollo for a while, uh, record shop obviously, or record chain, yeah. I guess you call mm. that. Musically, what happened uh, in the history musically there? Yeah, I mean, we can make we can make a link to the epi- your episode that spawned this episode, and that is that mm-hmm. Kiss made their two first British gigs in Hammersmith Odeon on the in mm-hmm. May 1976, first UK appearances, and right. the support act was. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Another one we've mentioned in the covers episode, Stray. Oh, cool. Which Stray. is really weird. Yeah. Seldom mentioned. Seldom, Seldom mentioned. mentioned. Yeah. It's a really odd thing, but I guess, I mean, in 1976, it made a lot more sense. I don't know. Yeah, well, maybe they were up and coming and didn't quite make it. Yeah, and had some kind of, you know, same management thing going on. I don't know. Management in the 70s, that's also a topic that is, you know, haywire stuff. Yeah. Really. It's it's bordering on mafia. <laughs> yeah, like enforcer territory for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Mm. Like, there's some crazy stuff. Peter Grant, I think it was called in that Zeppelin. Yeah, exactly, yeah. One of those. And and Terry Knight in Grand Funk Railroad was also a, a mess, you know. Mm. But the band had problems, and then on top of their problems, they got IRS problems because of his uh, accounting. But that's, you, know? you, you always hear that about bands from the 60s and 70s, that they are somehow screwed economically by some guy yes. that has been working for them. It's usually a manager or an accountant or something like that. And I don't, I don't know, does that happen in the same, as, as much now? Or is it just that people don't have managers nowadays because everyone does everything on TikTok? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's an inter- very interesting question. Uh, I remember when I signed, I was 19 when I signed to a Canadian label. Mm. First time, but actually pretty much only time I've signed to an actual record label. And I remember thinking like, you know, like the kind of the trope you describe now, like, yeah. okay, we're going to get fucked basically. Mm. And and looking back at it now, well, yo, boy, did they just help us. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all they did. Mm. Help us and front us with some, uh, you know, manufacturing and stuff and uh I really have no complaints. Uh, they they were from Quebec, Canada. Yeah. I managed to meet them in in Wacken, Germany, actually. Mm. A bit later, it might have been the year Maiden played too. I'm not sure. Oh yeah. Well, uh, when they did um, the I call it the Golden Years tour, but it was called Somewhere Back in Time tour. Ah, okay, yeah. Well, yeah. 2008. No. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm. after early years, me and my friends uh, kind of, uh, you know, pondered. What's next? Yeah, and we said probably the golden years. Mm. So that's why it's stuck in my head. Yeah, you know. it, yeah but it was it, golden years. Yeah, it it makes a lot of sense. But I mean, then we have also I think Thin Lizzy recorded Live and Dangerous there. If we're going to be in the subject of topic of hard rock bands, yeah. so it was also heavily mentioned in the Kiss episode actually because we talked about uh, people being smart asses. And you know that's main half in the studio. Yeah, well, like, yeah, everybody knows. No one cares. It's that's a great always, record. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then, then we have another one that's interesting, and that is Motorhead's "No Sleep Till Hammersmith," which yeah, is not, which is not recorded at Hammersmith. <laughs> yeah, it's and really, I was today years old when I learned. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess it just sounds cool. It, it. I, th- I think that's exactly what it was. They, it, they felt it sounded great as a title, looked great as a title, but. Hammersmith wasn't yes. even on that tour where they recorded it. So, another legendary live album. I'm not yeah. a huge live album guy, but uh, you know, it's just really cool. And when uh, um, they open the record, at least with Ace of Spades and mm. Lemmy plays the bass pretty fast, but then the the snare fill from Filthy is a complete different, yeah. <laughs> way higher, <Yeah. laughs> like coming in charged. Mm. But I like it. You know, it's I, the energy, you know, you know. It's this a funny thing with those bands that rehearse a lot or rehearse by playing live a lot. That it doesn't really matter if the cues are faulty. Then they're just they're back in the, you know, in the internal uh, sequence. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed at how, I mean, a, a rhythm guitarist like James Hetfield, who who can be so precise and tight that he can be this tight, but still be this tight with Lars Ulrich's drums that are a lot, a lot to Lars Ulrich's own meter, and I think it's fantastic yep. that they are so well rehearsed to to play that so well. And also, James is uh, keeping the time most of the time yeah. in that band, and they've said it, and you can hear it, mm. which uh, I think actually a huge part of Metallica sound. Yeah, yeah, huge part of why they sound like they do, and, and not many others do. Yeah, I would say. But I mean, I think Steve has always been mindful to have a good to, to have good drums to rely on. So it's not like he's 
keeping time. He's just making no, sure that no. everything is riding comfortably, you know, in the... Yeah, I mean, if Steve would be anyone in Metallica, he would be Lars, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, but definitely. His playing is not uh, rhythmically precise. It's more aggressive and attitude, mm. you know, a huge part of it. And as, you know, as, an, as a normal listener, I remember being one. Yeah. <laughs> Before before nerding out, <laughs> yeah. you don't notice who keeps the time. You don't notice who who's off. Uh, you notice the the energy and the attitude that comes out. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's the main thing, really. Yep. And you meant there was something I I meant to look up before we did this re- recording, but I never found time found time to do it. And that is you say, you say speak to me, Hammersmith, and I'm thinking, yeah. is that something he says only? On 22 Ocasio Avenue, on that recording, or is it something he used to say overall? For me, it's uh, the recording of yeah, 22. And when, but I, I also say this. I like it. Yeah. Speak to me, Hammersmith. Exactly. But cool. I mean, when did he start with the Scream for Me uh, venue? <laughs> or city? Is, Isn't there a lot of Scream for Me Long Beach on? On Life to Death. Yeah, yeah, it is. But then again... That's the same tour. I mean, I, w- I, w- I w- thought I w- was going to listen to 83 stuff to see if it, what he does there. And I, because I can't really remember off the top of my head if he actually does anything like that. We'll get back to you on that. But uh, if I'm going by, you know, some sort of arbitrary memory, I don't recall him saying that on the uh, World Peace Tour. No, neither do I. I, I mean, and I have a few bootleg recordings from 83 at the Hammersmith Odeon. And he, no, I don't think he does. And such a classic maiden phrase. Yeah, scream for me, insert city. So it yeah. must have sort of like uh, at least started to be prolifically used uh, on the '84 tour then. And that yeah, we, it could be the Live of Death album also that really cemented. I think it did. Um, yeah, uh, definitely. I, I'm gonna keep saying that it sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, it's it, it, it's his phrase really to to agitate the crowd. I think. Yep, it is. It is. I see in your notes also you mentioned Bruce Springsteen, yeah, 1975, the, Born to Run, apparently recorded for a 30th anniversary edition uh, of the same record, and yeah, uh, that would be in 05 then. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know Bruce, Bruce Springsteen about this. I guess this was one of the Wikipedia things, really. So uh, if it, yeah, okay, yeah, if it's, uh, I became a bit of a fan because a friend of the show and a friend of me is a huge fan, so mm. I, I actually gave it the time of the day. It's uh, you know it's that kind of anthemic pop music that uh, mm. you could compare to Hawk and Hellstrom, but yeah, but with I, a yeah. more masculine he, approach. He's got a very wide appeal in Sweden. I mean, selling out was it three nights at Ulvina or is it two? I don't know. Huge. It's huge. huge. There's something about maybe the kind of I don't know the blue collar, possibly attitude yeah. work works for for the Swedish crowds or something. And you know? the herd mentality that if someone listens to it, then everybody else is going to do it as well. If it's yeah, critical yeah. mass, really, I think. Yeah, and they work together. Blue collar is always about uh, you know the, the the crew. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's never about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, not to take anything away from him musically, it's just it's just not my cup of tea. But it's yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't mine either. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a couple of records now. Uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Uh, I would recommend if you want to hear a good one. Or actually, I'm going to give you one song, and it's not even long, so you can give that a you know the time of your day. One day mm-hmm. is um is called. Uh, it's about Abel and Cain. I think it's called Abel Raised the Cain. But then, you know, not, not the name, but the... Yeah, okay, the Cain, yeah. Okay. Mm. Abel Raised the Cain. Listen to that and, uh, you know, yeah. make up your mind if you should listen to more songs. Or yeah, not. I can listen to it. Give it a listen when if I find... That's a nice it. groove and it's heavy mm. as well. Yeah, that sounds yeah. promising. That's promising. Promising. Yes. Yeah. Yes. from earlier. <laughs> <laughs> sounds promising. Yeah. And Hammersmith sounds promising too. It's a good venue. We could we could pretty much. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's. Do they do music there nowadays? I I, I mean, if I'm I I guess I'm not listening to bands that are of that sort of size that they would play there. So I don't know if if it's I haven't happening. heard Dan mention this venue, being a Londoner and being on the show uh, repeatedly, mm. and uh, you know still going to a lot of shows. I haven't heard him mention it, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll ask him. I guess it's easy to check on Setlist FM, though. Well, Elvis Costello plays plays there tonight, so it's active. So it's active, yeah. Elvis Costello, that there you have someone I never got into. Yeah, me too. Can't figure it out. 
I don't know what there is to figure out even. I just think it's music that it's not appealing to my heartstrings, really. No Elvis Costello A to Z happening anytime, no, anywhere. Not, not, or maybe, well, but I'm not doing well, it. Well, not, not with me being any not with me either. fruitful part There's of no it. There's no A to the J or A to the H. No. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, now let's go to the nitty-gritty. Yep. Uh, Maiden in Hammersmith. The history. Mm? Uh, let's do this chronologically. Uh, the first I think of is, of course, Beast Over Hammersmith. Yeah. But was that the first? Nope. The first time they played, they played two consecutive nights opening for Judas Priest in 1980. And uh, that would be would have been which tour? It must have been the British same class. Brit- a British Steel, Steel tour. I mean, the British Steel was released the same day as the first main album. So perfect uh, matchup on that bill. Yeah, I, th- I think it must have been really good. But Maiden must have been harder and better, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that was a thing. And wasn't there a, a sort of like a controversy on that tour that Paul Diano had sent some, said something that he they were going <laughs> to play? There was this thing they said that they were rehearsing in the same rehearsal complex. And Iron Maiden had, had gone into their room just staring them out for an entire song. <laughs> <laughs> and then also that thing about them saying, we're going to blow you off yeah, the stage. Yeah, exactly, and, yeah. In all honesty, I love Judas Priest, but I'm pretty much... 100% positive Iron Maiden did blow I think so too. At least if you liked heavy metal. Yeah, there was, I think there was a totally different, uh, you know, hunger in Iron Maiden's performance at that time. And that was when Judas Priest started to really self-identify as heavy metal completely. Exactly. Around yeah. then. And then in comes a more heavy metal band, mm. you know. And that's not even arbitrary. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's it, concrete. Iron Maiden are more heavy metal in 80 exactly. than Priest. Yeah. Arguably today, priests are more heavy metal than Maiden, but that's a different story. Yeah, yeah, but it's 40 years down the line, so... If you look at Firepower and Zendutsu, I think Firepower is more heavy metal. Yeah. But in 80, yeah, that would have been a tough, you know, and maybe they wanted to be Maiden in 80. Mm. Maybe, but also they were doing that American thing. Yeah, you know, I mean... They were really, like, they were bigger in America than in Europe I think Euros, for a while. Euros I think priests were always more concerned with breaking it big, you know, being, being a yeah. band, really. So, uh, or... Uh, not breaking up. What do you say? Uh, breaking through. Breaking out breaking, or breaking yeah, through. Yeah. Maybe. Mm. yeah, breaking through. Yeah, the breaking through thing. Yeah. And yeah, they may be too concerned with that. I don't I know. Think. Yeah. I think that's like a strength on, on part of Maiden that Steve is just Steve. You know? yeah. Of course, Bruce and Adrian uh, tried, uh, they made an effort to get on the radio with Flight of Icarus. Mm-hmm. They have admitted. And you can hear it, you know, with a little bit of Dio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And uh, and all that, but uh, also that's a good song anyway. So mm. it works. It works for them even then. Yeah. Have made never tried too hard with a single. Maybe can I play with madness? But I, uh, but I'm partial to it because of Seven Sun. It's the worst song I think on the but album. Did but, they try? Uh, I mean, was it a conscious effort to make a single, or was it just, well, this is a song. This is the song. Yeah, I, I mean, they did like some. I mean, single bands like uh, Free, for example. Yeah, yeah, of course, but. They never really wrote that way. Well, I, well, you can argue that kind of play with madness and wasted years maybe are a bit more, you know, yeah, listen, listening friendly or whatever they are. But I don't, I don't wasted years is also five minutes plus, and yeah. that uh, intro thing comes three times. Mm. So that's really like if if wasted years was uh, reach out, it would wouldn't have had that intro thing. Yeah, no, that's true. It would just be directly. Mm. We have to make a single edit, a uh, seven-inch edit, edit of it, and see how it works. Yeah, we can make one. It would be a much weaker song. Yeah, I can say. Already. I, I think so. I, yeah. The strength in that song is that it is dark. That's what Don Svane also said on our show mm. that he likes AOR. Yeah. Very much. That's his thing. You know, unlike unlike you. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but he said that he likes the darker version of it. Mm. That's why he was crazy about wasted years, especially, and also stranger in a strange land. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they played there in 80, yep. uh, and we know of uh, Beast Over Hammersmith, but was there anything in between? They did their first headline in 1981. So, oh. uh, and the, and Recordings of that available? Uh, I don't know. I've, I've, uh, I, I was always uh, more videotape, VHS collecting, okay. so I never kept track of what was available on audio tape. Uh, and that w- that's a lot more Matthias's forte. But All right. uh, I don't know. I'm oh yeah, sure. he has tapes. He has tapes. I'm sure there's um, sure there's a recording. Well, why not? Really, because but it's headlining a, in eighty one. Headlining and the with Paul and the support band. Yeah, with Paul and the support band was Trust with Nico McBrain, I guess. Nico. Yeah. 
Mm. So trust. They keep coming back to the show. Trust. Yeah. No, it's it's very interesting how they're sort of like they they cross paths now and then, and things happen. And and then it was uh, 1982, and the recording that became Beast of a Hammersmith. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of that. Um, uh, which song should we play back? That's a very good question. Is it a matter of? I'm, I'm going to think now. What songs are on there? I'm always going to say Total Eclipse by Automatic Choice, but I don't know if that's a very. That's a very good choice. That sticks out. Let's listen to a bit of Total Eclipse here. It's a song called Total Eclipse. Sa. Hetfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This song, I always love the parts of it. Yeah. The individual parts. The overall flow, well, not entirely sure about that. I think that very... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick my... What's it? Stick my what out? No, I'll, not, let's not get into that. I'm go- <laughs> stick your guns in the ground. My, um, I am going to say that I think the, the most stevish bit is that tempo change in the middle. Or maybe that's Clive Burr's drum Love part. this riff. The verse riff. Mm. This is quite AR, actually. Yeah. It has that. But then again, yeah, it overall, the performance here is, is pretty mint. Yeah. Uh, drums are great sounding and performing. Yeah. And it's also one of these songs that I res- discovered it very late because it's. Uh, I, I never got the, right. the original single. I, I got it in 1990 from the first 10 years releases. And Totally different for me, right? Uh, 13 years old, 1999 mm-hmm. is the year. Or, oh, 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 I was 13. But, or, yeah. yeah. It, it, it spans over. Mm-hmm. But uh, buying the 98 version, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know it was this included. No. And I loved it as a kid. Yeah. Uh, as a kid, I didn't have much as much of a scope of complete uh, uh, composition. Mm. I was listening more to the parts. And all of them are great yeah. in the song. But I was also so very happy to see that this one was on 12 Wasted Years when I got the VHS later because it's... Uh, to me it was a very obscure song but it was a fantastic song and then to see it performed live was just amazing. Yeah. It's been a while since I heard it. Yeah. It sounds great. I like this version too actually I have to say. Yeah. It's good. It- Bruce is not great through this entire recording. No. But here he's great. Yeah. What? No, 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 no. Rise is gone. A little bit Southern Rock even. Yeah. Listening to Clive now. Very steady. Yeah. It's a very comfortable groove to play as well, I think. He was credited for this song too, right? Yeah, he is. And I, yeah, as I said, I don't know if he's sort of like came up with the middle bit, that the, the fast bit, which is very drummy, or ah, if it's. We're getting there pretty soon, right? Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah, with the whammy bar full of things. Yeah. Obnoxious. Mm-hmm. And when Bruce comes back into the last verse there, he's, he, he's, a, he's a bit off pitch. <laughs> it's God on the date! <laughs> so he doesn't yeah. really nail but it. This is but hard it's, to say it's, though very hard because he gets it I think now almost yeah good enough for rock and roll yeah now it's a it, yeah it's a great uh, document of Iron Maiden of the early 80s and Hammersmith Odeon so and Clive and Clive the song doesn't have a chorus to me or maybe yeah no 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 it's the chorus if that's a chorus well now I'd, I'd, yeah I think it's more like a it's, it's what you have yeah. for a chorus it's, yeah. anyway yeah, so I don't think it has chorus quality then but it's a repetitive part yeah because now they're back at the intro yeah and they don't really get further right this is where it ends too mm. ah does Clive have the gong thing at the end cool song anyway it nice is. feature for that record and uh, it's the one you go to for live Clive yeah really if you want it professionally recorded and all of that mm. you know. I think it's a great one okay 
the reason for the episode was side D of Liar of Death, but what happened in between this mm-hmm. and then? A few years. Yeah, they happened to play there four times in 1983 on the Peace of Mind tour. That is quite a lot. Uh, recordings? Uh, I, bootleg recordings, I know of. And I've, yeah. I actually don't know of any soundboard recording from 83 apart from the uh, uh, Dortmund broadcast. Uh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Dortmund broadcast is that available in full? No, I don't think so. I've I've never heard about a full version. I mean that, that I've turned to Ipswich for um, uh, you know peace Ips, of mind. Ipswich stuff. is a really good one, and I think this one. I think it's like the twenty sixth of May that I have a recording from Hammersmith. This is really good as well. This one, uh, this one got had to be retitled from June. We decided to call it today. Hello. To tame a land. Nice and fuck off and better really get on with it. have to do it in headphones I think anyway it's hard to do it in speakers listen to it in speakers you know but I think it definitely has that audience recording quality to it Generally, if the, if the quality of the recording is more poor, I, I prefer the headphones. I don't know why. I think I get more information. And also less distraction from the room you're listening in. If you're going to yeah, get... exactly. It's room upon room. That's yeah, what you don't exactly. want. Yeah.
cool setlist too. I would love, would have loved to have like something like Prodigal Son maybe to cut things off in the set. Love Prodigal Son anywhere, but yeah, that's, well, that's not going to happen. You have to look at Infinite Maiden, then yeah, it might happen that, actually. That's a that's a different yeah. kettle of fish. <laughs> All right, right. Yeah. yeah. Actually, mm-hmm. Hendrik is in Infinite Maiden. He's uh, unofficially in the band. Yeah. I'm on a retainer, yeah. right? Retainer, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you get paid in in, in in thoughts and prayers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Teas and peas, as yeah. Greg said. Mm. Okay. Um, so in between Beast of Hammersmith and uh, Life of the Death, side D, they have mm. a couple of shows. Yeah, um, it was we talked about the Peace of Mind, four, four shows on the Peace of Mind yeah. tour. Mm. And then, uh, of course, it is Power Slave tour, and it would be the, the, the shows where the D side uh, derives well, so from. Yep, and it's four four dates as well, not four consecutive dates, as I understand. It's the eighth, ninth, tenth, and twelfth of October. Do you know where these five songs are from? I think I have some kind of idea because this has been debated. I mean, it's all down to people listening to bootlegs and deciding, oh, this one has to be from this gig. And what was it that you said? People only sharing things among people that only share things among people that only share things. Oh, yeah, and something that's, like that. That's a very tough circle to get into. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, uh, for these gigs, they actually switched bits around in the set list. So there was a bit of rotation going on. And I am not going to say straight out now because I can't remember if which songs were the regular ones. I think Phantom of the Opera was in the set all the time on the English gigs. And it was removed in the US because it was too deep, wasn't it? It was removed and... I think 22K Avenue was, was there as well on all the gigs. Mm-hmm. And the Lost, weird, for, Lost for Words? Lost for Words was, was in the entire European tour. Mm-hmm. So it, it was there. And then I think they sort of switched bits around for Murders in the Room, Morgue, Dowdy Boots, On and Wrathchild. Okay. Uh, of which uh, none, obviously, are on the American. No, exactly. And I think guess that's also the good thing about Side D, is that they put songs on there that were unique to well England and Europe so you could sort of like get extra stuff that was still from the tour yeah an amazing set of songs in my opinion Uh, and I think what's been deduced is that if we're going to go through them sort of like in in the order of the songs on the D side it's going to be that Rothschild is from the 8th of October Mm -hmm. 22 Akash Avenue is uncertain I mean it might be from the 8th, but it's not clear. And I don't, don't know if this is that they played it so similarly every night that it was difficult to discern. Uh, Children of the Damned and David the Bootson are from the 10th. Phantom of the Opera is from the 9th. Hmm. Murders in the Room Org, uh, which is on the... Uh, is it B-side. Running Free single? Running Free, or is it... I think Running Free has Sanctuary, but that's my 7-inch. There's a 12-inch version, yeah. too. It's I yeah it's I yeah I think it's on it's on running free the twelve inch and that's from October twelve, and then Lost for Words which then must be on the Run, Run to the, the Hills, Hills twelve which inch. I call Phantom of the Opera because of the sleeve exactly yeah and that's going to be from the October eighth if this if right. if we're going to go by what sort of like is some kind of consensus about what people have listened to yeah. Okay, let's hear a bit of it, or do you have anything else in preparation for that? I was just going to say that in the Live of the Death credits, it says that the songs were only recorded on the 10th and the 12th, and that can't be because they did not play Rothschild on the 10th and the 12th. So That's a lesson to all you all out there. Companies lie. Yeah. <laughs> don't trust Don't trust sleeve notes. <laughs> Whatever they say is just what they think they can get away with. Mm. Okay, Rothschild. Uh, from Hammersmith, which date did you say? October 8, 1984. Mm, a while back. Let's have a listen. Yeah. 
So we just heard uh, the intro bit, and uh, something that sticks out is there's no intro solo. Yeah, I remember being surprised at hearing this because, as I mentioned, this was the first time I heard these songs on the After Death. So when I heard Killers then, I was surprised that the guitar solos sounded so weird to have them on there. But of course, yeah. they make a lot more sense now. So And they were also added last minute. Uh, it was a Birch idea. Yeah. To um, give the song a little bit more extra spice, you could mm. say. And I really like them on the album, and a big reason for me not liking recent versions of Ratchet is actually Janik Solo. <laughs> I, I completely hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have strong, passionate feelings of hate. Mm. It's so incredibly fucking lazy. Mm. I'm angry when I hear it. So yeah. I, I would rather have had just the riff. Yeah. But the intro solo uh, of Adrian fame on the original is, is way cooler. Yeah, absolutely. It's way more like, just better. Come on, Janik. Come mm. on. You can't just go up the scale. You're being lazy. <laughs> like uh, I, I guess he sees Ratchild as a throwaway song or something which it could be but to me when i hear a good version of this song i love it you know i think it's a really cool mm. track it's uh, hard and heavy it's uh, it's east london in the early 80s you know yeah it is but i never need to hear it again but it it is uh, a yeah. yeah definitely and, uh, you know i'm i'm, I'm quite um, quite favorable towards this version uh, if we listen to bruce here Sure, he adds a bit more of his tone, mm. but he's still percussive. Mm. Persecution, you know. Exactly. And just overall a good version of the song. Yeah. Uh, does it surpass the Killers version? No. No. It's better on Beast, actually. Beast of Rams version sounds ripping. And also Clive has a, a different um, tranquility to how he goes yeah, into the song. The hi-hat is very close to. Yeah, and that's Clive's hi-hat again. It's, it's evil when he gets it right because it's so difficult if you're not playing it with his yeah. sort of like very quick right hand. <laughs> that was also a great thing. Clive's hat shop. He's running a hat shop. Just throwing mm -hmm. hats out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, I, we play uh, the the title track, the titular track of the band Iron Maiden with Infinite Maiden, mm. and uh, I like for um, Emil to do the Clive thing in the verses, yeah, the speedy, speedy as Hyatt instead yeah. of the keeping on the on beat. Exactly, yeah, I prefer that one as well. I've it takes way more energy to do those hi hats. They are sixteenths. Yeah, they are, and it's not a low tempo. No, 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 no. It's it's hard, a lot of hard work. I tried to be able to play that, but you know seeing videos of him playing and all that stuff, but it was so difficult. And since I am allergic to rehearsing, it's, I've never really got my head around it or my hands around it. very much indeed steady listeners of our show knows this song means episode over me and Henrik will be back with you next week to conclude speak to me Hammersmith until then up the irons and squall from the north <laughs> <laughs>